So we're going to be on this journey uh, through the New Testament, actually. The, the first slide there says journey through the Bible. And when you think about the establishment of the church, questions come to mind for me especially. Well, here we go. The slide's not changing, so if you, whatever you need to do. So here's some questions that come to my mind. Have you ever asked where the church was started? Or do you know how the church was started? When, when was it started? Um, and what were some of the characteristics or attributes of the early church? And I think growing up as a member of the Church of Christ, Many people maybe have never asked these questions because they've been taught from childhood about all of these things. But as somebody who didn't grow up in the church, these were very important questions to me when I was going through the process of learning about the church. Um, I really had a strong desire to know about the church. Where was it started? When was it started? What was the origin of the church? And I can tell you, when I read the book of Acts for the first time, it was like opening up uh, a whole new understanding about the church. Uh, because of some of the things that I had been taught as a youth, uh, I found to not be in accord with the scriptures. And so hopefully today, as we go through this study, uh, we can explore the answers to some of these questions. And we can ask and answer the question, is there any significance or importance of that information today? And uh, hopefully we'll come to the conclusion that, yeah, it is important. It's, it's important information for us, and it's important information for others. So we're going to look at three things uh, today primarily, uh, the location, the time, and the manner of establishment. In other words, how was it established? And then we'll look at some of the characteristics or attributes of what did the church look like back in those days. So Jesus said to his disciples, especially to Peter in this uh, reading from Matthew, that he would build his church. And there were certain things about that church that, that he said. But the question I have is, did he tell them when or where he would build it? Think about that for a minute. So as far as a location, and I realize that this is kind of a tough slide to read from a long ways away, but it's kind of a map of the world back then. You know, was there a location that was predetermined where the church would be established? And, and was that known to the people at the time? Well, we know back in Isaiah, if you want to turn there, um, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 2 in, the first, in verses 2 through 3 says, It shall come to pass in the latter days, and the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. And it shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations will flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall come forth the law 
and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You know, there was a very specific place mentioned here, um, as well as uh, some good information about this time, this place, and what was about to happen. But the location uh, was also discussed um, by Jesus in the book of Luke. He talked about Jerusalem also. And just to preface uh, what he said about Jerusalem, this was in Luke 24, when Jesus said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. You know, part of what was prophesied, we just read, was about the establishment of the church and its specific location. He went on to say, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So these references that we are calling the establishment of the church to Jerusalem may not have connected with everybody at that time. The, the term the church that we use today, or the kingdom of God, if you think about either at the time of Jesus, before he went back into heaven, or even way back in the days of the prophets, could they see uh, the same thing that we see now, looking, looking back at the establishment of the church? They could, they could see that there was a place that was described by Isaiah, and now here by Jesus. But uh, what else was said? Well, in Luke 24, again... Um, Jesus said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry where? In the city of Jerusalem, until you are endued with power from on high. And then Luke again records in Acts this uh, same concept, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from where? From Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you have heard from me. So this location, Jerusalem, what do we know about it? I mean, you can tell a little bit from looking at this map. You know, what was the topography like? It wasn't flat, right? It was hilly. There's, quote, mountains there. Um, this kind of goes back to Isaiah's prophecy and the fact that, you know, Jesus, this was kind of his neighborhood, if you will. Uh, what else do we know? What was in Jerusalem? Yeah, the temple, right? So some of those statements about the word of the Lord and things of that nature. The center, the center of the Jewish uh, faith was Jerusalem. And, you know, it wasn't, it shouldn't have been a surprise to the Jews that that's who Jesus was primarily preaching to was that this kingdom that he was about to establish would be in their central, uh, the center of their uh, worship. What else about this area do you think contributed to or facilitated the establishment of the church and its quick spread across 
the known world at that time. Well, Acts 2.15 tells us that there was a quite a diverse population in Jerusalem at the time. And we also know just from secular uh, literature that the government, the road system, the highways, uh, all contributed to the fact that uh, this was the place that would facilitate the spread of the gospel and the establishment of the church. So where were these people from? Uh, in Acts uh, 2, again, verses 9 through 11, we can read when it says there were people there in Jerusalem from all the area. Well, where were those places? Well, uh, the reading says Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, I'm sure these are all familiar locations to everybody. Egypt and parts of Libya, the adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans, Arabs, you know, people from all these places were in Jerusalem at the time the church was established. If you let that sink in for a little bit, you know, it's a, it's a conglomeration, it's a diverse population uh, when the church was established. So we know from church history, you know, what happened after the church was established was there was a, a persecution and a dispersion. And where would these people go? They would go back to their homeland. Jesus himself said in Acts 1 verse 8, You'll be my witnesses, where? First in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then what? Out to the uttermost parts of the earth. So this was the, the place where the church was established, the preordained plan of God, as told by the prophets and confirmed by the Christ, would be the established of the church in Jerusalem and from there dispersed throughout the world. Anybody uh, have any comments or questions about that? Everybody still awake? Speaking of dispersion, we have a pretty good dispersion in the room here. I kind of like that. You know, started with Bruce and then it kind of went out from there. Yes. That's correct. You bet. I don't know if everybody could hear Janice, but she said years ago this was the area that God gave to his chosen people, uh, this area of Judea and Jerusalem, um, Israel. And it's not surprising that that's where the church would start from and, and go out from there. Right. Yeah. 
Good point. Morris said, you know, don't forget that the establishment of the church occurred on a feast day, the feast of uh, Pentecost, and all the Jewish men were required at certain times of the year to come into Jerusalem and to be there at that time. So let's talk about uh, timing. And again, I apologize for this slide because you probably can't see anything but a bunch of color on the screen. But this is a timeline um, of world history. And, and I don't know if you've ever done this. If you've ever asked yourself, why was I born in this time right now? Because if you put your lifespan up there on that timeline, you wouldn't even be able to see it. It'd be like a little dot. You know, I've talked to people who thought, I should have been born back in the days of the Wild West or the Mountain Men or you pick a, pick a time frame. But we were born during this time. And our, the span of our life is not that long in, if you compare that to the, to the known time of, of human existence. And why, are, why did God choose for us to be born now and to live during this time of technology and prosperity and all the crazy things that are happening now? Um, Tracy's grandmother uh, lived to be 99 years old, and I remember uh, watching her near the end of her life in the grocery store when they'd take cans of soup and scan them, and the number would pop up on the screen, and she'd just shake her head and say, I I've lived too long. I, I don't understand <laughs> how any of this works. And, uh, you know, if you think about all the, the strange and marvelous things uh, that we see today, and, and I mentioned in the, in the opening prayer, we have ways of reaching out through technology that never existed before. Communication has changed so much about the way that we reach out. But we have been born in this time. We didn't have a choice about that. That's just, this is where God placed us in time. So, thinking about the church. When was the church established? It was established at a certain point in in human history or in world history. And what was the purpose of the church being established right then? Was it accidental? Was it uh, God saying, well, we got to go to plan B because plan A didn't work? No, it was intentional, right? It was intentional. It was purposeful. It happened at just the right time. And now we're the beneficiaries. We're the recipients. We're the, we're the ones that are born during the time of the church. And we've been given the Great Commission to help others see that we're in the last days and we have a responsibility to other people, not just ourselves. So that time was designated and it was determined long before it happened. Uh, back in the book of Daniel, we can read about the prophecy that was given uh, to the king of Babylon at that time. Anybody remember that guy's name? Nebuchadnezzar. Alan's lips were moving. I can read lips. But yeah, Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel interpreted a dream that he had. And part of that interpretation uh, says, And in the days these of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. 
it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So there were certain characteristics about this kingdom uh, that the prophet uh, was relaying to uh, the people back then. And you can see from this slide, the prophecy was made long, long ago, long before the church was actually started. And it was described uh, earlier in that same reading um, by the uh, uh, by Daniel, he said, He has given them into your hand. He has made you ruler over them all. Talking about these kings. And, and the, the, uh, the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had was of this image of uh, someone with a head of gold and a, and a, a chest of silver and the, the loins of bronze and so forth and iron and clay. And, and uh, Daniel says, He's given them into your hand and He has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. So as you see these um, historical kingdoms that existed after Babylon was the Medo-Persian, then the uh, Greece, or the, the Greek king, uh, uh, time, and then the Romans came. And it was during the time of the Romans when Jesus was alive and the church was established. So, again, thinking about timing. We know that it was prophesied uh, by Daniel, but what other information do we have about the timing of the church? Well, if you would now turn to Matthew 4 and verse 17. And we'll see uh, the words of Jesus as he was going about his ministry. Matthew 4 and verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean, at hand? Yeah, it's not far off. It's here. It's right now. It's close. It's imminent, right? It's at hand. It's upon us. In uh, Matthew 9, flip over there real quick. Sorry, Mark, that guy. Thank you. Mark 9, in the first verse. Again, Jesus was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Now, we probably don't have time this morning to go through all the scriptures that talk about the kingdom of God being the same as the church. We've had that study before, so for the sake of argument, let's all agree that he's talking about the establishment of the church here. And Jesus is saying very clearly that some of you people who are here before you die are going to see this. Uh, that's not hard to understand. That's pretty clear uh, that he's talking about it's, it's going to happen. Um, another reference, Acts 1, verses 6 through 8.
And so while they come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So it was, the time was upon them. It was mentioned a few minutes ago about the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them, and they all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So there was a specific time. In addition to a specific place, Jerusalem, there was a very specific time. Acts 2.15, when uh, Peter was uh, there and those that were speaking in other languages were being accused of being intoxicated, Peter said, for these are not drunk as you suppose since it's only the third hour of the day. So not only... Do we know the day? But we know the hour, really, that this was occurring. <clears throat> so my question is, you know, again, have you reflected on time in your own life? Why are you born now? Why are you born in a time when the church exists? Uh, what, what does God have in mind for you living in this time? What is the expectation of you in the church or in your family or in your workplace or your neighborhood? He had a very specific time specified for the establishment of the church. And we're going to see, uh, in addition to that, location and time, there was a certain way in which the church came to be. There was a manner in which the church came to be. And that's what we're going to look at next. This, by the way, is not a photograph, if you're wondering. It's an artist's rendition of what it might have looked like back in that time, you know. And we're going to ask the question a little later, you know, how different is the church at the time of its establishment than it is now? So how, how was the church established? Well, we know in uh, the book of Acts, we've already read, uh, and we can go back and look at that again, there were confirmed miracles that happened at the time the church was established. There was a sound of rushing wind. There were tongues of fire. Uh, people were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were speaking in different languages. All of those are miraculous things that we don't see today, but those occurred at the time of the establishment of the church. Let me ask a question. Where was Jesus at this time? Was he still with them? Claude went like this. What does that mean, Claude? This? 
he had already ascended back to the Father, right? You know, there's a, a lot of discussion with, with people who call themselves Christians who are confused about the issue of, you know, when this or that occurred. We know that the church was not established until Jesus went back to heaven. And he informed his apostles, his disciples, of there was something coming. And for them to remain in Jerusalem for this event to happen. Well, this is the event that Jesus was talking about. It was, it was confirmed by these miracles. Um, what else happened right after that? Well, we can see further in Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter uh, preached a sermon. And, and we'll, not, we'll not read the whole sermon, but here are some things that Peter said in his sermon. Standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. You know, that heed my words kind of jumps off the page at me. I don't know if it does you. But it's like this information that I'm giving you is very important and very uh, specific to what we're discussing here, the establishment of the church. He goes on to say, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. You know, the idea that some people have is that, well, this stuff all just kind of happened by accident, or it was an afterthought. No, this happened, Christ coming, dying for our sins, and the establishment of his church was part of a predetermined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Very, very significant to understand that that we're part of a plan that God has for mankind to be saved and to be part of the body of Christ. And I think sometimes we forget the significance of that. We disregard the significance of that. I know uh, some people who don't have a good concept of this, they look at church as being like a social organization where they go to meet people and and share ideas and have you know some common uh, some things in common. They don't understand they're part of a predetermined plan that was in the mind of God when the whole world was created, and that the establishment of the church was something that was very important for God's plan throughout the ages. So what happened after the preaching? Yeah, and they before they actually obeyed the gospel, there was a change that happened in them. They were convicted. They heard it, and, and it cut them to the heart. And, and I think we kind of skip over that part sometimes, too, when we're talking to other people. Because a lot of conversion is not something that is external, but it's something that's internal. 
And when you're talking to someone who's thoroughly convinced that what they believe in is the truth, and they're, they don't have that conversion, they don't have that conviction, they don't have that moment at which the light bulb goes off and they say, wait a minute, maybe I need to rethink this. Or maybe it's the first time they've ever heard that Jesus died for them. Okay, not just the whole world, but Jesus died for your sins, for my sins. And they they have that change of heart. That's when obedience happens, is when they're cut to the heart. And if there's none of that happening with an individual, then is there really a conversion that happens? If they're never truly convicted or convinced of the message that they hear, do they ever make that that jump? And they ask the question when that happened, you know, what should we do? And, and that's what we would hope that everyone would ask. When you hear that information, when you hear that um, preaching of the gospel and you apply it to yourself, you know, it ought to drive us to our knees and say, I'm lost. What do I do about this? And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost is people asked that question and they were told, they were given the same information that we give people today. Repent and every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and your children and to all who are far off as Many as the Lord our God will call, and those who gladly received his word were baptized. You know, had, do you think some of these people had already been baptized into John's baptism? Yeah. And, and what was John's baptism all about? Yeah. It was repentance. It was acknowledging that you were a sinful person. But was there any forgiveness? Was there any promise? that they received when they were baptized in John's baptism of salvation? Was there any receiving of the Holy Spirit? Was there anything beyond them coming forward and, and acknowledging and repenting of their sins? Well, we, we read in the book of Acts when Saul, or Paul, uh, was on the road, um, when, the, when the story was relayed, his sins were forgiven when he came up out of the waters of baptism. So there was no acknowledgement of forgiveness of sin or receiving the Holy Spirit until Jesus' baptism. And so when these people heard this message... If, if their sins had already been forgiven, it wouldn't have had that big of an effect on them that it did. But they realized that whatever they had received up to that point, whether it was from John the Baptist or some rabbi or anyone else, it was insufficient because they realized we just crucified the Son of God and, and we have, so we have that to account for. And Peter gave them the information that they needed which was repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that was something new that had not been available before. 
And as a result of that, um, not only was that promise for them, but as we read, the promise is for you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. So this was, this was universal going forward. And then what happened? Well, there's two scriptures that you can maybe see, Acts 2, 41 and 47, that talk about what happened next. And that was... Uh, verse 41, latter half of that says, That day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And the, the other scripture, 47, says, The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So the process was they heard the word. They were convicted and, and, and asked verbally, you know, what do we do about this? They were given the information. They were baptized. And then they were added to the church by God. Now, here's the question. They were added to the church. Did the church even exist before this event? Was there a church already that they were being added to? Or was this the moment at which the church was started on Pentecost in Jerusalem at this time? That's what the scriptures teach us. That was the point at which the church began, right then. Those were the first members of the church. Those 3,000 souls that were added that day, and then all of those that were added every day after that. And we are a part of that legacy. We are a part of that chain of events that started on that day, in that place, that was part of the predetermined foreknowledge of God that's when and where the church would start. Well, the sins were rolled back, but were they forgiven? And was there access to heaven before that? They, they went in to atone for their sins, but what I'm saying is there was no access to heaven before, before the blood of Christ. Yeah. So I, don't, I think maybe it's semantics we're talking about here. For the forgiveness of sins. And, and there are people 
Yeah, or what about the patriarchs? You know, are they are, are we going to see those who had passed on before the church? You know, in heaven, are their sins forgiven? So, I, I'm not going to dispute that um, the Jews atoned for their sins and that John's baptism, you know, had some indication. But I do know that after the death of Christ, after the blood of Christ, and the establishment of the church. None of that really matters to us anymore. I mean, I don't I don't mean it doesn't matter because it's not important. What I mean is it has no significance for us going forward. And so we could we could talk about it a long time. My my understanding of whether or not people's sins were forgiven prior to Christ's death has no significance in going forward. Now That's correct. And you know, I would refer back to these people that heard the message. Um, many of them were probably fit in that category that you're talking about. They had lived a good life as Jews. They had um, done all their sacrificial responsibilities and atone, you know, atone for their sins. But when they heard this message, uh, they knew that was not sufficient going forward. And so, going forward for us, we know. Uh, the teaching is very clear. There's no ambiguity going forward as far as how our sins are forgiven. Thank you for that comment. So, you know, ask yourself this question. We know the church was established and built up by people at being added to it by the thousands, and according to the scriptures, it was established at the right place, at the right time, and in the right manner. So are you a part of the body of Christ? How were you added to the body? You know, the church is not a man-made organization that we just join and, and get voted in or whatever, but it is the body of Christ, and God adds us to the body according to the same pattern that we read about in the New Testament. So in the remaining time, we're going to look at some of the attributes or characteristics of the church back in the first century. And I want you to be thinking about as we do this, how does that compare with the church today or to Graver Road today? So what were some of the attributes? You know, the, the uh, church in Jerusalem was kind of the model church, if you will. If you think about uh, in growth, and, and we already read about how 3,000 souls were added to them and, and that souls were being added daily. Uh, what about in commitment? Uh, in Acts 2.42, it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. What does that mean, continued steadfastly? Yeah, over and over again, right? And intentionally and diligently. And I mean, there's lots of words you can put in there for that, but steadfastly means that you don't just have like a flash in the pan and then kind of, 
you know, fall back into complacency. It means that you are moving and marching forward with these things that they are describing here, especially uh, the first one in the Apostles' Doctrine. You know, it was very important to them to stay true to what they had been taught. Um, in generosity, said they had all things in common, a couple of different places, and we know that when all the people were gathered in Jerusalem at the beginning of the church, you know, if you're, if you're out of town, uh, you have a limited amount of resources and Maybe you're supposed to go home, and when you run out of those resources, then how are you going to be able to stay there? How are you going to be able to continue? Well, through the generosity of other people. And uh, they demonstrated great generosity in Jerusalem. In unity, and how important is unity? How often do we read about how Jesus himself prayed for unity um, and how unity among believers shows up in so many of the letters uh, they continued daily in one accord. What does that mean in one accord? Laureen, you said something. Excuse me? Like minds, yeah. Morris, you said? Yeah, they were all on the same track. They all had the same mind. They had the same goals. They had the same understanding. They, had, they were operating from the same teaching. They were in one accord. You know, if you have a, a group of people and you have some people going this way and some people going that way and saying, well, it doesn't really matter. This isn't, you know, a salvation issue. We can kind of do anything we want to. Pretty soon you have this big spread of ideas and you're not in one accord anymore. And it's very, very important to be uh, in one accord. Uh, what were some other ways, uh, some other attributes that Jerusalem uh, demonstrated in zeal? Uh, they continued daily with one accord. Daily, okay? That's pretty specific. Um, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Um, if you think about, you know, even Christ uh, in his model prayer, uh, give us our daily bread, okay? We all have to eat every day. You know, some of the simple logistical things that you would think that a large group of people would need. Um, but doing something every day, you know, how many people are still on track with their New Year's resolution that you're going to do every day, you know? When you do something every day, uh, it requires some zeal, if you will. Um, in joy and happiness, you know, it wasn't. This was not a, a drudgery thing. They continued daily, uh, and then at the end of this reading, with gladness and simplicity of heart. Think about that for a minute. You know, is that our attitude approach? Is that our expectation that there's going to be gladness and joy in what we're doing? There should be. Um, in respectability, praising God, having favor with all the people. You know, what we do in the community is just as important as, as what we do in here, how we represent ourselves. We're to love one another. We're to reach out in love. We're to be gentle and kind. Uh, and, and if you do that, you will be uh, respected. 
in prayer, uh, they were very um, uh, fervent in their prayer. It says in Acts two, uh, Acts four twenty four, they raised their voice to God with one accord. In Acts uh, four thirty one, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. Uh, in evangelism, in reaching out, they they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke the word of God with boldness. Uh, in Acts four. Uh, that was Acts 4.31. Acts 8, verse 4, says they went everywhere preaching the word. And, and in verse 14, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John. So the word was spreading by people uh, talking to other people and preaching the gospel to other people. Okay. So we're about to run out of time. So here's some questions. Does God care whether we have this right? Is this an important issue? Some people use this term, and oh, it's not a salvation issue. Well, is it important? Doesn't God expect us to know his word and know the truth? And if Jesus is the head of the church, shouldn't we be diligent to know as much as we can about it? Not just in general, but specifics about when it was started and what's it all about. And how can we help others learn about the establishment of the church without offending them? Well, let the, let the Bible be the guide there. Let the Word do the talking. We don't have to criticize or run down other people's ideas Bring them to the word of God and let them see through God's word what the truth is. Thank you very much for your attention and your comments this morning. And uh, we'll be looking at the conversion of, of uh, Cornelius next week. Thank you.